Welcome everybody, my name is Chris Lane, I'm the senior pastor here, it's my privilege to be sharing God's word with you. Just before we get into that, I hope you notice this, this pile of gifts here. We are just having a most extraordinary time with our feed ministry. You know, we, know we virtually mention it every week, but our food bank now is probably the largest in Hertfordshire. We give away thousands upon thousands of, of items of food and uh, it all, I don't even know how we do it, but... It all happens really out of the, the porter cabin. Of course, on Mondays, uh, there's a big, um, we, we turn the whole place over to, um, to the feed ministry. It goes on throughout the week, to be truthful, but, but the big focus is on Monday morning. So if you've got a spare moment to come down, offer some help, or to see what we do, you will be absolutely amazed. And this year, it's the first year I can think of it, actually we seem to have really broken through and we have just been inundated with gifts of food, just wonderful uh, generosity yourselves, but also the local community and our partners, the local secondary schools, primary schools, and, and the big supermarkets, number of local businesses. In fact, at Waitrose last weekend in Harpenden and uh, St. Albans where we were doing a sort of collection, we picked up 3,000 items of food. Give them a round of applause. And while I'm talking about Waitrose, you know, God bless them. Uh, the, the free Christmas dinner that Richard mentioned that day is very expensive and we, we fund that. We always have done for years. But they heard about that and they sent us a check for 500 pounds towards the expense. You know, God bless them. Good old Waitrose, you know. The reason the food is there, to be perfectly honest with you, is not just, those are the sort of Christmas gift packs that we give away to families and individuals who need help at Christmas, but it's not just that we wanted to show you that. The fact is that we, we have got so much food at this moment as we prepare to sort of give away over Christmas that virtually every available nook and cranny is stacked high with food and, and somebody came and said can we put some in the auditorium we don't know where to put this food you know and I had staff members running up to me so I went into the youth room and it's full of food you know and so, so we had to stack it up there do you know it occurs to me that Crazy though it may seem, because of the growth that, you know, this time of favor that we're experiencing as a church at the moment, uh, it's really been a phenomenal year. I'm beginning to think that we need more space for, for this place. We, we need some sort of designated space for the feed ministry, you know, a few thousand square foot for that. And, you know, we've got vision for that. We want to see a kind of a children's, like a children's department store in there where, uh, where, where gifts of clothing are, are kind of racked up properly. And we're, where we, you know, when your kids grow up and the, food, you know, the clothes are good, you can donate them and we'll rack them all up, we'll clean them. And then parents can come in and, you know, pay a minimal thing, you know, maybe 50p an item or a pound an item tops, you know, because I mean, that, that, you know, buying clothes for your kids, there's something dignifying about that. But we see a place where that could happen. And, and, uh, and then, of course, you know, our youth minister is beginning to go up and towards the right. So we need to, more space for that. And our children's ministry. Parents, you know, I see some kids in here. I apologize if we had to turn your kids away, but our, our children's ministry once again is, is really growing. And by the way, if your par parents, if your kids begin to get a bit restless, would you mind please taking them into the atrium? We had to virtually stop the service at the last one in the middle of the preach because of some child kicking off and we needed to just deal with that. So please, but, but I say that to say this, we need more space. We need more space for that. So if anyone 
sees a building for sale in the area, you know, in the vicinity here, if you happen to notice that there is a building for sale, would you please let me know? Because we, we need to get some more space, right? Will you all nod with that? So no, I don't suppose anybody's seen any space around here recently, but, <laughs> but, but if you see that there's, there's somewhere that we could get, you know, to have as well as this, please will you drop me a line? I really appreciate that. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you because you have always been on the move. There have been times, Lord God, where, to be honest, we've wondered. But Lord God, you are always at work. The word of God says that God is always at work devising ways for the lost to come home. It's a wonderful passage. You are always at work devising ways for the lost to come home. And Lord, we are so privileged to be part of that, part of your, your church in this city, this region, who are helping you devise ways for the lost to come home. And Lord, I just pray for anyone who's feeling lost this morning that they will, they will find you here. And in finding you, they'll find the light of their life. So please, dear Lord, as I, I, I share your word, may it find its mark. And all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, uh, last week we started our kind of little Christmas series, if I can call it that. And uh, if you were here, uh, you will know that it's called One Star, One Hope. If you are here or have listened to it on the podcast or are listening it to, to us on the videocast, you will know that uh, we talked a little bit about the astronomy that was going on at this time of year, 2,000 years ago. We talked about you know, the, the uh, considerable evidence actually that there was some sort of astral event around about the birth of Jesus. Some have speculated that it was Halley's Comet which was in the area at the time, or, you know, or, or uh, Jupiter and Saturn coming into conjunction as they call it, sort of crossing so close that you can hardly distinguish, you know, a difference and very, very bright and intense light in the sky. And, then of course, you know, God can do something sovereign and utterly creative, who knows? You know, we talked a bit about those journeys. We started talking about journeys and the great journey that comets make. We also talked about the great journey that the three wise men made because although traditionally we talk about the three wise men arriving after the birth of Jesus, actually they will have planned their journey maybe some several years prior to the event because they were scientists of the day. They were scholars. They were wise men. They were astronomers stroke astrologers. And they will have been tracking the stars. And they will have seen that in such and such a year, this was going to take place. And it had tremendous significance and import. And so they would have planned a trip long before Mary was pregnant. You know, when Mary was probably just seven or eight years old, these guys will have been tracking that and making plans to be in such and such a place when that astral event took place. We talked about you know, uh, great sort of matters of what we call salvation history, God working things and, and involving himself in history to bring about the perfect moment where the savior of the world would come. We talked about the prophetic witness. We talked about how the Old Testament in so many passages, and I read one at the end of the worship, Isaiah 9, foretell the coming of a savior. So that's as far as we got in the story. And so we're gonna you know, take it on a little bit further today. But the first thought I want you to grasp is God's timing 
is perfect. And we spoke about that last week, and you can catch up on the detail and the comfort and challenge of it, as I say on the podcast, video casts. But now, let's read what for many of us will be a very familiar story. It's Luke chapter 2, and we'll just read the first seven verses. And it's, well, let's just let the, the text talk. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came from the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room, no guest room available for them. This story is so well known. And yet, you know, when you begin to think about it, it must have been a very challenging time for Joseph and a very challenging time for Mary. You know, she was heavily pregnant. And the last thing most mums would want to do in that occasion is do a 100-mile journey on the back of a donkey when you're about to have a baby. You know, it's about 70 miles as the crow flies from Nazareth to Bethlehem, just south of, of Jerusalem. But of course, you don't go as the crow flies. You would be using, actually, some of the Roman roads, which were pretty good, but it was a slow journey. And Joseph, at the one part of him, would be wanting to move along to get to Bethlehem in time for the census. But at the same time, he was full of concern for Mary, who was very, very pregnant. I wonder what they thought of that journey, what they were thinking about at that time. I wonder what went through their minds on that fateful morning when, and this didn't really happen, I'm just sort of elaborating, but when the brown envelope landed on the mat. Do you know, how many of you love getting brown envelopes on the mat? (laughs) Some of them, yeah. I think I got one which was a tax rebate. Everything else is bad news, you know. And on this particular morning, you know, the brown envelope landed on the mat. And Joseph opened it up. And what he read was, the governor of Judea requests or, or commands you to be present in your hometown. That's your ancestral town for the purpose of a worldwide Roman census. You must attend between this and those dates. Be there or be in trouble. And I can imagine how he picked that up and he thought, that's all we need. And he would go through and he went and found Mary and said, Mary, guess what? This just arrived. I'm sorry, hon, we're going to have to go. And what did she say? What did she do? We'll come back to that a little later. But if my experience is anything to go by, and I dare say some of you will be able to identify this, when my wife was pregnant with any of our four children, in those months running up to the birth, and indeed the closer it got to the birth, you know, she would be, she, she just wanted a nest. You know, she wanted to make it safe. You know, I remember the first time, you know, we were expecting our, our eldest daughter, the first time we were expecting our eldest daughter, we only expected her once, but yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, you know, you know what I mean. So we're expecting our first baby, and I think we had the nursery perfect about four months in. 
you know, we had a big old house in the country in those days and we, we designated this room a nursery and we, we, I remember we ordered some French paper. It took about seven weeks to arrive, French wallpaper and we spent a lot of money on it. And we were stuck for things to do. So you know what we did? We, we, we got these little pots of paint and we were painting, we, it was sort of a yellow and red theme in this, I know it was the, it was the 70s, so bear with me. You know, yellow and red theme. And, and, and we, we were so stuck for things to do when we were wanting to prep this thing that we, we got little pots of paint and we were painting the screws on the, on the sort of hinges red and the hinges were yellow. I mean, it was that detail. It's crazy. But that's kind of what often happens with parents. You know, a baby's coming. And this is, this is going to be great. And we just want to make everything right so that when the baby's coming, you know, we, we're ready for it. And, you know, maybe Mary was like that. Maybe was, she was just wanting to nest, but suddenly this brown envelope arrives. Be there in Bethlehem. Shoot. We'll come back to that part of the story. But before we do that, we need to rewind a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning of this series of events. So I'm going to flip over a page in my Bible, and I'm going to read another story here. And let's see if we can't tease some truth and some some, some food, spiritual food out of this. So the next reading I want to just run past you then is Luke chapter 1, verses 8 to 20. Please feel free to follow with in your Bibles, but it'll come up on the screen too. So Luke chapter, chapter 1, verses 8 to 20 says this. And what I need to tell you is that the first person to appear is a guy called Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest. Once more, he was an aging priest, a man of great stature and experience, He'd seen it all before. And he and his wife, Elizabeth, had one great, great tragedy in their life. And that was that they couldn't have children themselves. That's all you need to know as we pick up the story. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot and according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. 
And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. For many this will be a familiar story. John the Baptist, as this baby is going to be called, is a very, very well-known character in the Bible. He's one of those giants. And the thing that is new, not, not physically, a giant in the story, What's unique about him is that he is a contemporary prophet. You know, some of the readings that we've read already are, you know, are ancient prophets. But John the Baptist is a, is a prophet and the, the angel describes him as an Elijah in, the, in our day. That's the kind of status and stature of John. And John provides a kind of running commentary in Jesus' lifetime of Jesus' ministry. There's something about John. People kind of can't quite make their minds up about Jesus. There's a lot of kind of, you know, toing and froing. But there's something about John which draws people to him. And that's the scribes, the Pharisees, the highborn, the lowborn. They went out in their thousands, their tens of thousands, into the desert to be baptized by him. And he was hard. He wrote them. Repent. Repent from your sins and be baptized. It wasn't a comfort message he had. It was a hardline message. But there was something about him that drew people to him. But whenever people said to him, are you the Messiah or you are the Messiah, the one we're waiting for, he, he, he dismissed that. And he always pointed to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he said. Jesus and he were cousins. And so Jesus' ministry has this great prophetic figure out there in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Pointing to Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus. Refusing to take the accolades that were Jesus's. Refusing to be, to be sort of, you know, to be bought off by the wealthy. And they just can't get enough of him. And he points to Jesus. So great prophetic character. But there's something going on here which is a little surprising. And to be honest with you, it's something that probably I need to hear. And that's that Zechariah was a good man. He's not a baddie. He's a good man. And, you know, he's a godly man. And he sort of wins the kind of priestly lottery, if you like. And he is selected to be that priest on this particular year that goes through the curtain which was in the inner sort of sanctuary of the temple that separated the Ark of the Covenant, the very place where God was, was said and known to dwell. He was selected, it only happened once a year, to go through that curtain into this area to, to sacrifice some incense. Do you know they used to tie a rope around their, their, the priest's leg, a silken rope, because there was a fear that if he did something wrong, God would just smite him dead on the spot. And they needed a way to get the body out. They couldn't just sort of run in there with the sort of paramedics. So they used to try, tie this silken rope around their ankle. It's absolutely true. So he wins the priestly lottery. It's my turn. What an honor. The honor of a lifetime. And he goes in and he meets an angel. The angel says, you're going to have a son. And this son is going to be very significant, very important. And what is his response? His response is, how can I be sure of this? Do you know, I like to think 
that if I saw an angel and an angel told me something, I'd believe him. What do you think? Would you believe the angel? <coughs> Not so sure. One of the things about angels is that they always scare you witless. You know, there's several times in this little story where angels appear and, and the first thing the angels have to say is, yeah, I know, I know, I'm bright and shiny, fine. Don't be afraid. It's the first thing they say is, chill out, it's okay. Oh boy. Don't be afraid because they are scary. They truly are scary. So he says to Zechariah, don't be afraid. But then he has this message and he says, your prayers have been answered. Your prayers have been answered. How many of us would long to have our prayers answered, particularly in that kind of area? Never had a child. Now seemingly no hope of ever having a child. And the archangel Gabriel appears in the holy place of God and tells you that your prayers are answered and you're going to have a child. And Zechariah says, How's this gonna ha- how's it- how can this be? I mean, really, Zechariah? Really? Is that the best you can do? The truth is, as I've reflected about this, I've realized something in myself. That when we've been walking with Jesus a long time, we, we tend to get a sense that we know what comes next. We, we know how to deal with this kind of situation. You know, we've been through some tough times and we've seen them through. And do you know what? We become less flexible. We become less ready and willing to embrace something that God is doing. Not always, but sometimes. Sometimes we can be resistant to, we can miss something that God is wanting to say to us because we've got this kind of, you know, if I use myself, I've got this kind of Chris Lane worldview. This is how Christianity looks in the 21st century in Hertfordshire, and I know what I'm doing. Well, Zechariah's the same kind of guy. He's not a bad person, but he knows how this thing works. And so when an angel says, you're going to fall pregnant, he's thinking, what? That can't happen. I mean, my wife's 284. You know, that's never going to happen. Well, not as old as that. you know. So instead of responding with, my Lord, oh my God, or how wonderful, or this is incredible, I can't wait to tell Elizabeth, you know, it's like, What? You're kidding me. I would say that that was an inappropriate response. And the Bible agrees with me. Because poor old, the angel has to give an account of himself. The angel goes, Zechariah, look at me. I'm a 12 foot angel. I'm Gabriel, I stand at the very presence of God and I've come to you with this message. Oh, look, because you didn't believe me, you're gonna be dumb now until the baby's born and you name him John. That's how the story works out. And for those of you who know the story, know that the baby was born and when it came to the naming ceremony, what happened was, was they came to Zechariah, as was the custom, and said, what shall the child be called? And he's sort of going. They get him something to write on, and he writes on John. Now, John is not a family name, and the custom then was to name, to pick one of the family names. And so he gives them that, and they go, John? Is anybody in his family? What do you mean, John? And he goes, and so they go, so then the baby's going to be called John. And with that, his voice is freed up. 
But the Lord disciplined him because of his unbelief. And I have to watch that because I've been doing this a while. I've been a pastor now for 30 years. I've got to watch my attitude. Let's look at an alternative story. The next little event is, in my Bible, it says the birth of Jesus foretold. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Let's see a different response. It says here, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Now she says, how will this be? Not how can this be? How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. I love that. No word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You see, here we have, as I, as I reminded you last week, this teenager, a young teenager, probably 13, 14, probably hadn't come into her womanhood more than a few months, a year, year and a half at most. And she is being told by this angel, the same angel that that presented himself before Zechariah, that she is now going to be carrying the savior of the world. Now the old priest, he said, what? How can that be? What do you mean? How can this be? How can I be sure of this? He was looking for facts. Let's deal with the facts. My my, my wife is this, thus, and so. How is this gonna happen, angel? But Mary, she says, how will this be? It's it's not a a resistance to the word. She's just thinking double time. She thinks, well, I'm 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 only a young young woman and I'm a virgin, so have I got to do something? I'm not sure whether I like the idea of that. And the angel says, no, no, no. Peace be with you. The Holy Spirit's coming on you. The creator God He who created the heaven and the earth, that self-same spirit that created all that is seen and unseen is going to come upon you. And she says, may it be to me according to your word. There's the old guy like me saying, I want the facts. Prove it. You know, doesn't compute. How, how, does, how is this going to work? 
And he gets a slap on the wrist from the angel. But the youngster accepts what is given, even though there's going to be consequences. You know, we, we really do need to listen to this and understand this. You know, we teach about healing in, in 102, and we pray for people and all the rest of it, and thank God, you know, we do see people healed. But, you know, we, we have to do whole great training courses about it. Kev Nash, our, our children's pastor, was telling me that a few weeks ago, um, in one of the classes, they just talked about Jesus healing people. And these kids are about five and six years old. It turned out one of the uh, Sunday school teachers was not well. And so they said, please, miss, can we pray for you? And they'd been praying for their mother and their granny and their auntie and all that, but let's pray for you, you're not well. And so they gathered around her, they laid hands on, they prayed for her. And she says that she knew instantly that something had happened. I think her story is actually on the, on the website now, you can read this. She actually kept it quiet for about five or six weeks because she wanted to be sure that she had been healed, but she had been healed. You see, we as adults, you know, people like me and you, you know, we, we kind of have to process these things and then, you know, if we're really convinced, we may dare to do something. But the kids, you know, just one little 20-minute teaching on Jesus healing and they say, right, well, let's pray for you because you're sick and let's heal you. And the old priest is wanting facts and certainty the young woman embraces this call of God. And I just have to say to you, not as an aside, but because I felt the Lord was prompting me to say this. If you've come here today looking for facts, if you've come as a guest or a friend, or maybe you've been coming a while and just still trying to work it through, if you're looking for facts, you've probably come to the wrong place. Why? Because you will never find the, in its entirety, what you're looking here, if you're looking for facts. Thank God that our testimony and our gospel and our good news has a historical foundation. But Jesus comes as a savior to those who believe in him. And actually, the more I've understood this over the years, the more I've appreciated just how exquisite this is. Because if it was down to knowledge, scientific knowledge, some of us would get it, but many of us wouldn't. Many of us would not have the time, as I was privileged to have, to spend seven years doing theology in order to you know, examine the evidence, et cetera, et cetera, going into the Greek, you know, looking at the Hebrew, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that was something I was privileged to have. But many of us do not have that opportunity you know, you're just trying to do life, trying to feed the kids and get them out the door to school and, you know, be there for the, pan, you know, for the, for the, the children's nativity and then they've got to be collected because someone's got a party and they've got to have a character, you know, all the family stuff that happens. And those of you who are single, what have you, you know, you're, you're chasing around visiting relatives over Christmas, you know, not got two minutes to yourself and then you're trying to have a relationship but that's not working and it's just, there's too much going on in life. But Father said it's not going to be that way. The old Gnostic heresies was all about knowledge. You only got saved if you attained knowledge. It's a heresy. What Father said about the Christian faith is, the righteous will live by faith. It's about trust. And that may sound very foreign to you. You're saying, well, he's stood up there and he doesn't know what's gone in my life and he's telling me I've got to trust God. Listen, we all trust God. We, we all trust in relationships. 
You know, a very dear friend of mine is just beginning a, a, a serious relationship, a younger friend, and beginning a serious relationship with, with a, a new partner. And I'm full of admiration for this individual because they've had some very difficult relationships. And the temptation is just to withdraw and say, I'm just going to do my life and I'm going to look after my pets and I'm going to you know, join the flipping tennis club and whatever. But you know, she's beginning a new relationship with someone. And I, I've had, I know this person well. And there's a risk involved. Will I be hurt? Don't know. Will they abandon me? Don't know. Will they be true to me? Don't know. We've all been in this place of risking ourselves. But every single one of you who are currently in a meaningful relationship will know the greatest prize in this life, bar knowing Christ, is to be in a relationship when you are known and you know someone, where you trust someone and they begin to trust you. And that sort of living in the gap where there isn't certainty, there's just faith, hope, and love, that is truly exhilarating, truly rewarding, truly inspiring. Facts, facts, and more facts, they're dry in the mouth. They don't bring joy. It's faith, taking that risk in relationship, that brings the richest rewards. The Father says, it's not about knowledge, it's not about facts that you can study in a, a laboratory, it's about faith. Because all of us, no matter how busy and how complex our life is, can take that step into the unknown and put their trust in God. Wonderful thing, wonderful thing. So, bringing this, bringing this home. So Mary, she's pregnant with Jesus, and as I've said before, many roads lead to Bethlehem. Many roads. All sorts of things coming together to meet in Bethlehem. So Joseph goes through to Mary with the brown envelope, announcing the fact that they've got to travel X number of miles on a donkey over roads when she's heavily pregnant. How does Mary respond to that? We don't know, but let me speculate here. One of the other things that my wife started to do, and many of you will be able to identify with this, I'm sure, when she fell pregnant, suddenly she becomes a reader. Suddenly, She's reading magazine articles, and I can't move in the house because there's, you know, piles of magazines entitled things like, you know, your baby and you, or you and your baby, or you, your baby and me, and this kind of stuff. And, and then there's the nursery I've already told you about, and there's all this kind of stuff. And then she's, you know, joins the library as we did in those days. Didn't have online then, but, you know, reading all these books about how to have a baby. And then she's doing NCT, National Trial Birth Trust things. And she drags me along to these meetings where I'm lying on the floor with a load of other hapless blokes going. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, God, what am I doing here, you know? but you're trying to support your wife and all this kind of thing. And I remember she dragged me along to a, a film where we're actually gonna see a real baby being born on the, on the film. 
I don't know how many of you have been to that. Hands up, guys. Yeah, oh my gosh, that's, that's hardcore. And she's saying to me, you're going there, and uh, we're on the way there, and she says to me, you're going to be all right, are you, Chris? Because this is the, you know, you're going to be with me, and I want you to watch this, because this is what it's going to be like. You know, we don't want you fainting on the floor, because they've told me they won't be able to do anything for you. If you faint on the floor, you're just dead meat on the floor, okay? So are you okay with this? Just pay attention, and all the rest of it. I'm going, I'll be be fine. I'm thinking, I hope I'm going to be okay. So she's wagging a finger at me, and all this kind of stuff. We go in there, within 30 seconds, she's fainting on the floor just watching the movie. (laughs) We have to take her out. (laughs) But there's books and there's films and there's classes and there's all this kind of stuff, you know, that's going on. But as it comes to that point of birth and delivery, it's just the waiting. It's just the waiting. Everything is done three times over. It's just the waiting. And at this point, Mary finds herself on a donkey joggling to Bethlehem. Was she happy? Was she excited about that? Not particularly, but there was an inner peace. And I'll tell you why I believe that to be true. Because in her day, she didn't have magazines by the pile because you pulled your baby and me. What she had, all she had, was the Old Testament. Of course, there wasn't a New Testament then. And having been told by the archangel Gabriel that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, you better believe that suddenly she showed an extraordinary interest in every reference to the Messiah in the book. What's this going to mean? What's he going to be like? Who is this person? And so on and so forth. But as the time draws near, there's one thing that begins to bother her. And that's a little verse in Micah 5, where it says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And she's in Nazareth. And she's a young teenager. No way is her parents going to let her go on a journey to Bethlehem just to have the baby there. And suddenly her fiancé comes in with a brown envelope and says, oh, man, I don't know how to say to this, sweetheart, but... We've got to go to Bethlehem for a flipping census. The timing sucks. And Mary, she turns and says, where? Bethlehem. And instead of going mental and bursting into floods of tears, and saying, I can't go, my friend, I'm a baby. Instead of fainting on the floor, she says, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And she breaks out into the broadest of grins. And Joseph thinks, what? I just don't understand women. (laughs) And she said, I better get the baby things. We're going to Bethlehem. Faith. God's timing is perfect. Many roads come together in Bethlehem. If you're on a faith journey, you're beginning to appreciate God's perfect timing. Let's have the worship team back up. There's really only one thing to do, and that's just to finish with a little worship song. Sam, come on up, mate. And why don't we all stand, and I will pray.
Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you. And it's been said before, and there is truth in it, that we're all on a spiritual journey. We're all moving towards the light and moving towards you. And Lord, we want to say we're sorry when we've resisted you, when we should have shown faith, but we didn't. We were just full of questions and and we want to thank you for those times when, when we did break through, where we, we did respond with faith and trust. And our prayer is this, Lord, that as we consider Jesus, as we, as we journey to Bethlehem ourselves this, this Christmas tide, that we will be filled, filled with the most awesome wonder at what God has done for us. And everyone said, Amen.